So happy Thanksgiving. On to Christmas it is, huh? And I um, just want to talk about the beauty of giving today. And um, so funny, when we think about giving, uh, we think all kinds of things, uh, especially this during this season. We just went through Thanksgiving and we talk about Christmas and all of that. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, this whole subject of giving uh, is just one of the most beautiful subjects you could ever uh, have to talk about in church, outside of church, anywhere in church, because there's this law of the universe. It's found in Luke 6:38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It's the law. So when you learn to sow as you learn to give, there's something that comes back on in your own head uh, from the Lord himself. And it's just the law of the universe, and it just takes place in so many different ways and shapes and forms. So I want to talk about this today, the beauty of giving. And I want to go through these passages of Scripture. It's so important uh, to understand because, uh, number one, it's what God likes. And uh, he demonstrated his own love toward us by giving his most precious gift of all, Jesus. But secondly, it's just such an amazing, amazing understanding of how to have enough. I would even go beyond that, how to have abundance. I'm just telling you that part of it, not all of it, but part of it has to do with our own attitude toward giving, how generous we are, how we understand that subject. It's such a critical subject uh, for all of us, not just for the church, uh, you know, or some organization that needs this or that. It's for your own welfare. It's part of the cycle of being a Christian, part of the, the way of Christ, part of the way of, of walking with God. You know, and of course, we don't have to look any further than God the Father giving His best, His own Son, and to people who didn't deserve it, people who totally rejected Him, and to a humanity that crucified Him on a cross. He resurrected from the dead, and He still gave us this gift, Jesus, for whoever would receive. It's just an amazing subject. It's at the core of walking with God, and there's all kinds of passages on this, and I love to talk about this subject because it helps us to understand uh, God's heart and what He's really about and who he really is. So if you look at your outline there, hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say the beauty of giving. I want to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 9, first of all. I am not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I want to read that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So it's the basis of all understanding this way. The Lord humbled himself and gave himself the most precious gift in the universe, and the Father gave that gift, a precious gift. A person without sin ended up being crucified between two thieves, rose from the dead, and then he offered this free gift of eternal life. It's pretty good pretty good, but it also highlights something that's so important for us to understand. If you want to walk with God, you've got to understand what His character is like, and what He wants you to do, and how He wants you to be with Him. And let me just tell this right off the bat. For you that are newer to this whole area, or jaded in some way, or maybe find it difficult, can I just say something that I've found out? I have a few years now, just a few, and I've noticed something. I have never been able to outgive God. Just at the point that I thought I'd just like given that away the, you know, every, you know, I just thought I, I'll never recover from this, whatever. You can never outgive Him, you know. I'm like 38 years old now, and I still uh, have not yet to God to leave me or forsake me, right? So Proverbs 11, uh, 24 to 25 says, One person gives freely yet gains even more, which is the crazy thing about this. Did you get that? One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It's a very powerful passage. And we're tested about it every day, you know. All kinds of things happen to make it feel like we don't have enough. You know, It doesn't even matter how old you are, and it doesn't necessarily matter how much money you have. It's amazing how I see people all the time threatened about their money. People that have tons of money, right, at least in my eyes, always think they don't have enough. And people that don't have any money, I've seen some of them live like kings, like they don't have a worry in the world. What is that difference? Well, it's faith, but also it's a matter of the heart. Giving is first and foremost a matter of the heart. 
And God is the ultimate giver. Giving is in God's character. It's in his very heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9, as I meant, as I read just, just a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I love this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What an amazing passage that is. God began the whole plan of redemption with a giver. This guy's name was Abraham, and God called him his friend. This Abraham guy keeps coming up in world history. Have you noticed this? (laughs) Abraham is right at the center of what's going on in Israel right now. If you know the history of this whole thing, this goes all the way back to Abraham. Jacob and Esau and Ishmael and all kinds of things. It's very interesting. Uh, if as you as you look at it, I've been thinking about that uh, from that perspective. And uh, but Abraham, I want to talk about him for a moment because he, in a sense, is the father of all who believe. He he is uh, such an incredible example for us and God's example, most importantly. And I want to just say this. I I was meditating on this the other day, and I want you to think about this as we talk about Abraham because think about this as we get to it. He's the one that offered his only son. God told him to offer his son. The only one in humanity that understands the heart of God in this matter. Matter of fact, God and he have this special connection because he was willing to do it. God gave his only son, but he held the knife from Abraham as he was coming down. So this thing that God has about Abraham and his history and all of it is a big deal whenever you see his name. And it's still a big deal even to this very day. God never forgot Abraham, never forgot his people, never forgot the children, never forgot the promises. And they're still playing out all these centuries later. So we look at James chapter 2, 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? For you that don't know the story, God said to sacrifice his son on the altar. You know, he wanted him to sacrifice his son, which he thought he wasn't hearing right at first. But he followed through with it. He actually went all the way and went to what's now Jerusalem, interestingly enough, and was about to bring that knife down, and God held him back and said, no, no. And uh, he provided an animal for him instead. But from that place came actually the beginning of redemptive history. I suppose it started earlier than that, but really from that space with God concerning himself to get a people for himself and then coming through the down downline the bloodline of Jesus Christ and the father of it all was this man named Abraham was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called this is important he was called God's friend because Abraham was like God And he was willing to give his only son. And so God had this special union with him. But the faith was the critical thing. He not only talked about doing faith, but he was going to follow through with faith. He not only was believing in his mind, but his actions followed through, right? He was going to give, right? And so giving is so powerful. Whatever is not of faith is sin. But then on the other side, whatever is of faith is glory, is grace, is mercy, And so God began this whole plan of redemption with a giver. His name was Abraham, and God called him his friend. God's not just a giver. He's, according to Hebrews 12, 2, a cheerful giver. And that's really, really important. Not begrudgingly. Sometimes I think that when we need things, we think that God's holding back, that he's actually slow about giving. But he always gives well precisely, exceedingly beyond what we could ask or think. We just have to learn to walk with him because also what's always in the background is discipleship is always in the background. The main call in your life is he wants you, to, he wants to make you like him. So he has this amazing discipleship program where he helps you to learn to be a giver so you can prosper because then <clears throat> when you begin to do that, you become just like him and God has all the money he needs. You'll have all the need, money you need all the possessions you need. And then beyond that, way beyond finances, I don't think it's good to have just a bag of money and everything around you following the pieces, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This Jesus gave everything. He gave his own life up for us. So if God is anything, he's a giver. And if you're a disciple of God, you're a giver, right? In all kinds of ways. Money's one aspect of it. There's all kinds of other ways that we give. Uh, God wants you not only to give, but to experience his cheerfulness and his joy. Uh, this is really, really important. Matter of fact, I, I get a lot of joy even just reading this passage because I've experienced this. And uh, as I move on with the Lord, I get more and more experience like this. I just get a kick out of giving. I get a kick out of watching what happens. I get a, I just get thrilled because I, I, I've learned to, uh, when I sow, I've learned to look at the other side of it. And, and, and already expressed the experience of the joy even before I get it multiplied back on my own head, which is inevitable. You can't outgive God. Remember this, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And there's lots of ways to reap, by the way. Peace in your heart, health in your family, health in your own bones, family relationships. You know, all kinds of ways. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that's either true or it's not. If it's a lie, then, well, okay, forget it. But if it's not a lie, it has some interesting dividends. Being the little entrepreneur that I am, I always think of passages like this. I, I'm kind of a Christian entrepreneur. I like to take these promises and try them out, you know. Because sometimes they're so great, you know. How can you resist right, these promises, Right. If I just sow generously, I'm going to reap generously. What does that look like? Well, turns out it's big and broad. It's not even just about your finances. It's about everything. What good is it to have a bag of money and, and other things are a mess? You know, My kids don't know the Lord or there's a situation at home or somebody's sick or whatever it is. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hmm. That's good. You want God to love you? Well, he loves you to death anyway because he gave his son Jesus for you. So he demonstrated that. But he really likes to have fellowship with cheerful givers. That means you and him are on the same page, right? When you get to the place where you're giving where you just can't wait to give, where it irritates you if you can't give, when you feel really something's wrong if you don't, right? Uh, you've entered in a good place. God likes a cheerful giver. He likes someone that really likes his program, right? And God is able to bless you abundantly so in all things at all times. Could I just say that again? Uh, let me just say it again. To bless you abundantly so in all things. How many things is that? Oh, you can know that word well. Good. At all times, right? Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So you have this abundance and you just keep abounding in good works. You keep flowing over. And over the overflow of your life, you just keep giving, 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 Prospering and giving, prospering and giving, this beautiful cycle of God. He invented it. He said it. He demonstrated it in every way. With his own son, through Father Abraham, who was really close to him, because think about it in the whole universe. Even this drama that's going on today with regard to Abraham. Think about this. God gave his only son for us. Abraham, at God's request, gave his only son. They're buddies. <laughs> and Abraham's kids are buddies. They're always going to be his kids. And we, by extension, are also Abraham's children. In everything I did, Paul says, this is Acts 20, 25, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So sometimes we put that in some some of platitude up there. Yes, it's good. Yeah, look at me. I'm. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I feel better about myself, so on and so forth. But actually, this giving thing is like a law of the universe. And that's why it's so so incredibly powerful. It's actually a law of the universe, isn't it? As you learn to give, you share the cheerfulness and happiness of God. And the parable of the talents of gold. Remember the talents of gold parable. It's uh, Matthew chapter. 25, and I won't read the whole thing, but you know, uh, let me just start with verse 14 and read a few verses. So Jesus says, it'll be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. God does not like us to hide the master's money. It's not your money. It's God's money. He doesn't like you to put it in holes, right? He pays really good interest, by the way. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and everybody that laughed just then understands what I'm talking about, right? The others are not so certain, but anyway. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done and good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Did you catch the come and share your master's happiness? So this whole thing is a happy thing. It's a happy thing. It's a cheerful thing. It's a joyful thing. Why wouldn't it be? You can't outgive God, right? Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Now, <laughs> the reply here is sort of scary. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bangers so that I, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Hey, take that bag of gold and give it to the one with five bags, which seems entirely unfair, right? We would have said, well, just give it to the guy with two bags. <laughs> the guy with five has too many already. Oh, but you're not understanding the generosity of God. God's looking for the five bags. He's looking to bless you, bless you, bless you. Invest. It's a great investment. And he'll take you on a journey in the process. But I like this part. Here's the best part of the process. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share your master's happiness. I know countless people who haven't shared the master's happiness, and had, the root of it was money. The root of it was all their actions, whether it was a divorce or whether it was this thing or that thing. The very root of it was feeling insecure about money, so they made these decisions. And then they pierced themselves with darkness for years and years afterward. There's a happiness here. There are happy thoughts here. If you try this out long enough, you know, and, give, and, and do this in faith over a lifetime, you're going to find you'll be very, very happy with the result. Because first of all, the joy of the Lord will be your strength on the inside. And second of all, you're going to like your life. Because God has this way of multiplying back in your own head. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. We're going to get to that one in a minute. Paul describes the corporate joy of God's people sharing with one another. This is the sort of the lifestyle of the church. It's a beautiful lifestyle. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 to 15. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience and accompanying, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else he's talking about, an offering the Corinthians gave. And in their prayers for you, and these people, he's talking about the gift that he's given to these other people, they as those people, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So they gave a financial gift, right? And we're, we're generous. And then he says at the end, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, going back again to the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Notice the prayer here, the release of prayer and blessing back to the giver. There's like this joint exchange. The reward of a generous church is God's amazing and joyful presence. I'll tell you what. We had some kind of party the other day in the warehouse. Oh, my gosh. That warehouse is just one big joy thing for me, just one big bundle of joy, right? Oh, my gosh. I don't know how many people came into the warehouse on uh, the day after. Uh, what do they call that? It should be White Friday. It was White Friday for us, wasn't it? It was incredible. How many people we have in there? Different people came on uh, White Friday. Huh? A thousand. <laughs> it was everywhere. Wall-to-wall people. It was amazing. 
It was so great. We had such a party, and it was so amazing, and God's grace. And you know, it's just such a grace because, okay, so all those people came, and they bought all that stuff. A big deal. I don't care. But it's what we get to do with the money, how we get to sow it into our community and the lives of other people. Otherwise, it's just money. But now it's just joy because we get to sow even more and more and more. Wow. What a beautiful thing. It's just this beautiful little cycle, you know. You give and you get. You give and you get. You just keep building and building and building. The joy gets bigger as the giving grows bigger. Amen. All right. I believe that... Uh, I don't know if you would call us a generous church. I think we, I would like to think of us a generous church. I don't want to brag, but I think we are actually. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed about us from the beginning as we've begun to live like this is the joyful presence of the Lord. I feel it in the worship. I feel it in everything that we do. It's just such a beautiful joy around here. And um, if you hang around the warehouse a little bit, there's joy there all the time, even though there's all kinds of work and craziness going on, and there's joy in the children's ministry in the back, and there's joy in the youth ministries, and there's joy in the school. Every time I go to the school, it's just so wonderful. Just I love just walking through the school. There's just so much joy in the air and so many other things, and it's just part of this whole cycle. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God in your family, in your individual life, in your corporate life as a church, as an organization, as the body of Christ. If you look at Roman numeral 2, there's an order to giving. First, a seed sown in weakness, and then the multiplication of the seed for a harvest. And so let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, if I could just extend this, it's said that time is money. And so time also is a beautiful gift. It really is. Matter of fact, sometimes some of us have a harder time giving our time than we do our money. But both of them are wonderful things as unto the Lord. And I appreciate that so much. Our church is just one big volunteer group. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And just the little ways and big ways that people volunteer. And um, so, but it's amazing because God loves a cheerful giver. And I think we have lots of cheerful givers around here. But then he says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times. Could I just say that again? Is it okay? Okay. Somebody say it really loud. Yes, yes, say it all the, yes, yes. Because this is pretty good. Look, God is able to bless you abundantly so that what? In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Good grief. That about covers it, doesn't it? That puts the bow on the whole deal right there. What's all things at all times? Is that all just about money? No. It's about everything. Your health. Things you're pursuing. Things that you desire. Desires. Things that you want. It's things that that you would like to see in your kids, your children's life. What all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a pretty good deal. It's a really good deal. Oh, my goodness. You know, even Jesus had to cope with the weakness of sowing, you know, the weakness of sowing that, you know, uh, giving something of yourself, right? And, of course, he gave his life. But I'm going to just read this for a moment. John chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is a law of the universe. Not just in finances, but in our time, our energy, what we sow. It costs us something, right? Jesus was about to pay the ultimate cost and give the ultimate gift. There could be no more precious gift that the Father could give, no more precious gift that Jesus could have given except his life. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this hour I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. You can just see this connection. 
this pain of the father to give his son, the pain of the son to give his life, and the glory surrounding the whole thing. You could call this not only the beauty of giving, you could call this the glory of giving. In Luke 6, 37 to 38, Jesus describes giving first, then a measure received in return. Notice, for the measure you use will be measured to you in return. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. So it's extending even beyond money. Can I just pause for a moment? Uh, a critical judging spirit, stay away from it like the plague. Oh my gosh. Better to give people the benefit of the judgment than to fall into judgment yourself. Because it's a fine line, and sometimes you don't know exactly when you're crossing it. And I just pray that God gives me an alarm button every time I'm crossing in, into a judgment of another person and their attitudes or their actions, right? You can even judge people about how they give or not or whatever. <laughs> Believe me, there's a plethora of things you can be judgmental about, and they seem to stalk us around every corner. You ever notice that? And Jesus said this, Do not judge, and you'll not be judged so. Be really careful about that one, how you look at people. In Hawaii, they used to say, how you give people the stink eye. <laughs> Never did understand that the whole time I was in Hawaii. But anyway, the stink eye. Then one time, somebody gave me the stink eye, and I realized exactly what that was. Right? Someone, someone measured something out to me I didn't deserve, right? Do not, and then I thought, oh, that's the stink eye. Do not, <laughs> do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Given and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I just like to think about the length and the breadth and the width of this. Not just about money, but about all kinds of things. How we measure out people, how we measure them is so important. Now there is a time where we have to actually make judgment sometimes about a person but there's a way to judge without being judgmental. There's a way to honestly tell the truth and understand the truth without condemning a person, right? Without getting into a spirit of judgment. They're just weak. And they may be causing havoc and they may need, need to be adjusted or spoken to. But you have to be careful because when, even when you speak, be careful. Don't judge and you'll be not be judged. So whatever you use, right? Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Given will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down. I like this part the best. Give will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use will be measured to you, both in the positive direction and the negative direction. I like that. Anybody like the good measure, pressed down, shaken together? I really like that passage. <laughs> I just measured all these heaps of stuff, you know, all kinds of things. But especially maybe in things that money can't buy. Health issues. Other things that we know about, right? Problems in our life a son or a daughter that's not saved yet, a situation that's a predicament for us. We don't know whether to do this or that, right? I just love for the Lord to measure out fully what I would like to be measured, right? And I get that by the way I treat others. So this subject of giving, this is about life itself. This is about Christmas. is about life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's, it's about how we do business in the world. It's about the generosity of a good father, a kind God and how we become like him in little ways and big ways, right? Our first steps with generosity start with honoring God and his cause with the tithe, giving the first part of our income, that dreaded scripture that many people have such a hard time with, right? But actually, I found out that more and more people don't have a problem with that because they've learned to live on the other side of Malachi 3.8, which is an incredible passage, isn't it? Uh, I'll just read actually, I'm going to read uh, Malachi 3, 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. Well, that's an interesting way to start that out. <laughs> so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. In other words, I got lots of mercy. You deserve it, but I didn't destroy you. For since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That's a pretty big statement. I think there's a little bit of uh, upsetness in his voice. But notice what he says now. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, well how, how am I robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse. Now, the tithe was the first tenth of their income that they gave to the Lord. And they had a 
rather dramatic way of doing that. The series of giving in the Old Testament is quite dramatic. It, actually, by the time you get down with tithes and offerings, it's way beyond the 10%. But anyway, the tithe means 10%, the first tenth. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the whole the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. That's the only place you're going to find God saying, test me. <laughs> That's the place you don't want to be testing him, right? And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Wow. I got this feeling about the warehouse. It's already happening. But if we keep giving, I think there's going to be so much blessing. We just continue to have this big problem, which was actually a problem last week. We don't have enough room to contain everything. It's already happening right under your nose. It's amazing. He says, test me. See, see what happened in your own personal life. You know what? I'll even prevent pests from devouring your crops. Whoa. Every businessman knows what pests, pests are. Things that come unexpectedly, bills that come in an uncertain time. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. It's an agricultural term, but it's real. You know how pests come. Something breaks. Refrigerator breaks down. <laughs> Sprinkling system doesn't work. I had a great pest. My plumbing broke down from the street to the house. That was an amazing thing. Digging underneath the concrete. That was a pest. I'll prevent, prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. It's just about the time you're about to get that big investment to pay off that big thing to happen, right? It won't drop. It won't bleed. It'll bear its full yield, right? Says the Lord Almighty. These are amazing promises. If you get a hold of this and you believe it, you will always be a giver. If you can't get a hold of it, God will help you to grow into it, slowly but surely. He's not so demanding as you expect. These verses seem really heavy and demanding, but they're not. You get to. You don't have to. Test him, he said. Try a little bit. Try a little bit. Well, I don't know if I have the 10%. Well, do, do 3%. He's that generous. Just try with your money. Just try to be generous. And then just build from there. Right? Build from there and see what happens. Then all Could he be that good? Oh, yeah. He gave his son. He shed blood on the cross. I think he can help you out. Help you in this matter of any righteousness. You take one step toward him. He'll take three steps toward you. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So he's doing this on a national level. All the nations will call you blessed. Your whole nation will be blessed. So there are tithes, there's offerings. According to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, right? And there are radical offerings. And one of the most radical offerings in the universe was who? Jesus Christ. God's a giver, turns out. Turns out. One son. How it works before he came on the earth and after, it's a mystery in a way how the, the uh, triune God works, right? All we know is that he became a son on this planet, right? As an extension of his sonship in heaven. Jesus, Son of God, and He was given. And God asked His friend Abraham to give His only Son. And He was willing to do it, but He held back the knife. said, it's okay. From now on, you'll be blessed. Your nation will be blessed. And interestingly enough, Jesus was the Son of God, but God did not withhold the knife from Him. He gave completely. No one will know for sure the suffering that went on between the Father and the Son, the pain of the Father's heart. I'm sure maybe some of us given a little glimpse of it, but no one will know the full measure of what that cost God and the pain. I think, well, he's big enough. He could take it. Really now? Really? If he could take that so easily, then maybe he could take you pretty easily and pretty lightly, right? No. He took you so seriously that he knew the only way he could get you back was to send Jesus and have him sacrifice on a cross. That's the only way he could get you back. Because your race sinned and separated themselves from God and they needed Jesus to fix it. And he did. 
all that lived before Jesus, all that lived in the future ahead of Jesus, sanctified, set apart, the same way, just receiving this free gift of eternal life, this radical gift, Jesus, the Son of God. We see in the Old Testament some other interesting things. Now, Scott, the ever-present scholar of such things, will rebuke me if I got this wrong, but I read it in a commentary. turns out that when David, David gave the stuff that he did out of his own income for the, for the temple to be built, it cost him $21 billion. Well, it was a lot of money. Let's just put it that way. Whether it was $21 billion in ours or not, but that's one of the commentaries said. It wouldn't be surprised me. Solomon, at his inauguration, gave 1,000 bulls, which doesn't sound a lot to us. I can't figure out what that means. <laughs> Let's just say, at that time, it was a lot of money. <laughs> right? Interesting thing about this, this whole subject, I was looking at uh, Luke 21 again. You have to understand this from God's point of view. When you get it from God's point of view, then you see both opportunity, but you also see shortcomings. You see, wow, I have a little bit more to do to go before I grow up into God, right? So look at this. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is looking. I think it's sort of interesting that he's actually looking at the offering anyway, don't you think that's kind of interesting? He's just you know, staring there, just watching it. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. Live on, excuse me. Wow. And God made note of that. And the writer made note of it, right? He made sure that was in the book. And then this drama that we mentioned and alluded to earlier with regard to Abraham, right? Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to just read this story just a little bit. It's worth reading. Um, it's dramatic. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take God, uh, t- then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And so he did it. And as the knife was coming down, the voice comes out. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Can you imagine what happened then? You know, when that happened, that interruption. I mean, he was probably shaking. You could see the sh- you know, he was probably shaking, you know, quivering. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. God is still the friend of Abraham. Still. And his prodigy, all the ones that followed, both in the natural, the Jews, and also the new Jews, us, some of us are both come from Jewish stock and also have become Jews, redeemed Jews, so to speak, in the Lord, right? We're all in the same family now. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed his burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham provided that place. The Lord will provide. This is such a big deal. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. You don't have to give. You get to give. And as you do it, you'll understand the Lord will provide. And as you grow through the years and you understand that more and more, you take bigger and bigger chances and you don't worry and worry as much as you used to. You begin to grow up. And you get to the place where you get to give. You don't have to give. It's one of your greatest honors and privileges that you could do something great for God. right? So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And then just when you do it, when you think you're giving your best and so much, and then all of a sudden the Lord goes... Oh, good job. Here's some more. Why don't you keep going? <laughs> and it might not happen exactly like that. But either way, you serve the Most High God, right? But it's suspiciously like that because God says, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I think he's trying to make a point there. So 
And all these dealings I've had with the Lord, I found out I just never can outgive God. And then I've also found out that one of the best pieces of advice I can give to anybody, when we take people off the street, one of the first things on my agenda with them is, look, I know it's been bad. You've been homeless. You could even make a religion out of this homelessness, or you can get out. What's your choice? What do you mean? Well, first thing is, we're going to give you a job, but your job is to give the first tenth of that to the Lord. If you really want to get out of this hole you're in, be a giver. Stop being a taker. Everything in your culture tells you that you should be a taker, that you deserve it. Somehow or another, you're qualified. But you're running exactly opposite to the king of kings, to the one that multiplies money. You're going the wrong direction. I know you're intimidated. I know you're fearful. God's generous. He's kind-hearted, too. He'll help you to give. Grow into it. Give a little. See what happens. Do a little bit more. Do a little bit more. It's okay. He's not legalistic. He's not harsh that way. But he is insistent in all because what? He wants to bless you. When they reach the place, God, and he, so let me go back. Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld me from me, your, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and saw in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son and your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And of course, that was through Jesus. But that promise is still over Israel. It's still over Israel. Israel, the nation. Israel, the people of God. You can see the union. God gave his only son. Abraham, the one man on earth that voluntarily gave his only son. They have this connection, as do Abraham and his descendants to this day. And by the way, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're his descendants. You're his descendants. Christians are different. We are different in every way possible, every way imaginable, ways you can't even imagine. We are the descendants of the Most High God. We're the descendants of the Most High God. We're not anybody. We're God's people. It's so important for us to remember that all the days of our life, right? Even when we're not doing so well, even when things don't look so great, we have provision. We have a Father in Heaven who's good, so good, He gave His only Son. John 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of Purinard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to be, betray him, objected Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag. He used to keep help himself to what was put into it. So not only did he was he a thief, but he didn't understand the economy of God either. That woman didn't have a problem. Believe me, her financial problems were no more. (laughs) She sowed. But more than that, she worshipped the Most High God, right? Which actually, when it comes down to it, as you see here, money is worship. Just one form of worship. You guys worship well today with your mouths and your praise to God. But we also worship God with our sustenance, with our giving, and with our compassion for the poor and the weak, for those that are have less than us, and maybe even those that just have a need for something. This is all worship. It's all to the good. This giving expensive thing, you know, poured it out. Well, it's gone. It's gone. It will never be. No. Give and what? It should be given to you. She found it again. (laughs) Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Not the least of which was her own soul. How can you put a price on a soul? 
This woman knew Jesus. She was saved, and all her family knew Jesus. And believe me, she was well taken care of for all the days of her life. And then there's those days after this life, and that's the time which you really need, where you really need to be taken care of, right? But look what he says to, about this whole situation. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So worship is what is intended. We might give it to this person or that person, but it's meant as a gift to God. All givings, first to God, second to people. First to God, second to people. It's about you and God. It's about you. It's about the indescribable gift, the one that died and was buried. Extravagant giving is recognized in heaven when given in that spirit of worship. You'll always have the poor, but you'll not always have me, he said to her. Wow. But we know our ministry is having Jesus always. And now we should always be very, very sensitive to the weak around us. And by the way, I believe that uh, it's not just a matter of giving to a poor person here or there. I believe there's something bigger than that, that our church is in the process of. of. I believe that we're an example, and I believe there's others that are example. It's not that we just give, but that we learn to be smart, that we actually give an answer to the world around us. It's not only that I would give some money away out of the church to this one or that one, but one thing that's developing around us right now is an answer to the problems of our region and our area. An answer. Not just here, I'll help you, but a plan. Slowly but surely in our church, a plan's emerging. We're learning better and better how to take care of people. We don't do it perfectly. We don't do all that we would like to. We've taken a pretty good stab at it. And we're actually learning that there's a plan. There's a way to do this. There's the income of God, the generosity of God and people. But also, how do we solve these problems that the world is so mightily struggling with? This whole thing that came up in San Francisco was so funny. They cleaned the place all up so the Chinese premier could came, come, you know. As soon as he left, it's all back to normal, right? Or we should say abnormal, right? The thing of it is, for as sickening as that is, and as horrible as the situation we see, you know what? And you may just like, oh, that, and you just get your, fem- your favorite politician in your sights. How foolish to do that. You can recognize unrighteousness, duly noted, but here's a better way. How are you the answer to this problem? How can we be the answer and the wisdom for this crisis, this housing crisis? That's the bigger question. And I'm convinced that the church can do it. Our church, other churches, working together, I believe, because of the generosity and because of this little thing called multiplication that the Lord gives us, give and what? It shall be given. Because of this multiplication, why would we not be able to solve these problems? If it's just about money, well, that's simple. We just keep giving and we just keep getting. We just keep planning, we keep sowing, and then we keep getting smarter and smarter and smarter. The world will look to us for wisdom in this area. It's a bottomless pit. When the church is left out of the planning stages of this, it's a mess, and it just gets deeper. Humanism doesn't cause one stinking thing. All it is is the worship of humanity and a series of trade-offs with guilty here, guilty there, even down to the centuries guilt, right? But the real answer lies in Jesus, who cares for these people more than you can imagine. He died for them. I believe... If we keep treading these waters, keep moving out, keep pushing forward, God's going to give us amazing creative solutions to housing problems and food problems, job problems, all kinds of things. I believe that's what God's offering us and has always offered us. It's part of the spectacular, wonderful thing called ministering to the weak. We get to be working hand-in-hand with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Ooh, I like God to love me. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that all things... I want to just... Let's just read this real carefully, okay, just so there's no mistake here. Okay. <laughs> Well, you don't know the time I'm in. You know, my wife's been sick, and this is bad, and da 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 and the economy, and I lost my job. 
let's see here. Let's go back here. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe you don't have as much money to give as you did before, but it's still currency. Think of money giving as an investment in the invisible for the visible to come back on your head, right? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, the three alls, <laughs> that about takes care of it all. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Every good work. Oh, that's just about more helping the poor. No, no, no. If it's, God's not a spoiled sport. He likes your children's education. He likes that you do well, you prosper and have a good job. He likes that your body's healthy, right? You're having all that you need. You'll abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God likes it. Then it says this, you'll be enriched in every way. Well, how many ways is that? I think that pretty much covers it. Every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. So, every way you prosper and you just keep on giving and this cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And who's giving the thanksgiving to God? Are the angels doing it? Maybe. Other people, other Christians doing it? Maybe. But I believe the world says thank you. And we'll continue to say thank you as we begin to sow these sort of things to our community and our life and our, the people around us, right? You can sow and receive multiplication in every area of your life. You can ask God how to sow toward a particular need in addition to general financial giving. I, I like doing that. I've noticed that givers have this habit of doing this. They have this thing they want to do, and they think, you know what? I've noticed this through the years. I have a lot of friends that have, been, have done this. They come up to me and say, you know, I've got this thing I want to do in business. I want to expand over there. You know, where's a good seed I could sow toward to, to help that happen? They just tell, they tell me, look, look, I'm, I want to give something because I want to expand this area, and I think I, I just want to do something uh, and, as an act of worship for God, God, and I want Him to come and bless me as I go do this. I tell you, that's that's happened to me so many times. Not one time anybody ever came up to me and told me that and did it that it didn't turn out amazing. You don't have to give. You get to give. <laughs> you don't have to. You get to. God's an equal opportunity employer, right? And then there's these things. When I sow forgiveness, oh, that's one of the most generous things you could ever give sometimes. To let a person go. Just let them go. The only one you're damaging is you. Let it go. Let God take care of it. Forgive them. They don't have to make it right. They don't have to make it right. Tell you what, that's your free get out of jail card. All these little jails come. One of the worst reasons that come is because of unforgiveness. Jesus forgave you when you were a sinner. Now receive everybody else, right? That's why he says it. Matthew chapter 6. 14 to 15. Maybe maybe I should just make it even uh, more clearer if I can find it here. Matthew 6. I'm going to let that settle a little bit. This is a big one. I think I'm speaking to somebody here. 14 to 15. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And then it says, and lead us not into temptation. That word temptation is the word testing. Or you could say it that way. In other words, Lord, lead me away from trouble. Lead me away from problems. Not only to, not only to the sense of to, to sin, but it's more, bigger than that. Word's bigger than that. Lead me away from bad things, right? I'm going to forgive. One of the biggest things you could ever give somebody is forgiveness. You don't have to forgive. You get to give. By forgiving. 
let them off the hook. It's the best thing you ever did for yourself and for God and for them. Because you forgive them, you may release the possibility for their, them to change. Right? Lead us not in temptation. That word's testing, but deliver us from the evil. I believe 12 and 13 are put together. It's a prayer of protection. Temptation, lead us away from testing. It can also be translated. Lord, keep me out of trouble, but deliver me from the evil one. So let me just say it again. I believe these two are very interestingly connected because we'll read the next couple of verses underneath. For Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sons' sins. Wow. Whew. That's a big one. That's an important one. I don't know very many more passages that are important like that because all of us through this life have people that injure us, do bad things to us, make us upset, hurt us. But the best, one of the best forms of giving is, of giving is forgiving, right? And I receive forgiveness and peace. When I worship, I reap God's presence. That's another way. You ever notice that? Today I did. I kind of came in, hurried a little bit. But when the worship went up, man, just this peace settles over me. It's just like taking a bath, you know, <laughs> washing all the world's stuff off of you. Oh, my. So it takes sewing, though. So we don't look at the clock, obviously, in this place. Uh, worship, cut it off, you know. I don't even know when exactly we're going to cut the worship off. So they, they have a very long list. <laughs> I never know exactly. I never did, and I was sitting there today, and I've made this little deal with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm not going to cut this thing. I'll just cut this off when I think it's the right time, so... Sometimes we go shorter, sometimes we go longer. But worship's so important. God's presence comes when we worship. Like, and so if you really respect and honor worship, you're respecting God's presence. And when you respect God's presence, He starts talking to you, healing you, doing weird stuff to you. Such a hurry we are, man. Just running around. You don't even know what you got to do. It's so important after you leave this place, but it's important. I got to get out of here. I reach in, you know, your clock, it's getting close, it's getting close. Thank God I have this incredible, beautiful children's pastor. The most easygoing children's pastor I've ever had in my entire life. She plays and has fun. She enjoys everything that she does. And I never worry about the time because she's as happy with, like, if I make it shorter or longer, she's fa- happy. Just amazing. And it makes everything relaxed around here. And just true worship, prayer, joy. When I sow prayers, I see answers. When I pray for others, they pray for me. When I am selfless, friendly, and giving toward others, I reap relationships. If you need healing, pray for others to be healed. Oh. We're like wounded healers anyway. Oh, it's got something wrong. Mentally, emotionally, physically, right? I hope not physically, and I hope not in any of that, but we all are weak. But could I just say this? You don't have to be on the ministry team. You get to be on the ministry team. Why? Because when you sow something in kindness to somebody else, pray for their healing, it comes back on your own head. That's a little mystery of the universe. People, I'm sick, I'm sick. Well, if you're sick, why don't you pray for somebody? That goes for me. I don't feel like it. Well, that's okay if you don't feel like it, but... I'll tell you what, if you just give a little bit towards somebody, one of the problems with sicknesses, especially the biggest problem with sickness and also lack of money, is you feel like you can't give anymore. And you cut, you get cut off, right? So even with money, just do a little bit. God will let you do it gradually. We talk about the tenth, but God likes even a lot more than the tenth for you that adventurous ones. But even if, like, even just a little bit of money is a lot to you, just try a little bit. God's not as serious. If he sees you're on the right track, it's like your little kids. Like when your kids begin to walk, right? Do you slap them on the head because they didn't do the full walk? No, you took a couple of steps. Good job. Great job, right? So that's the way it is. And so when we give to, you know, I can't pray for people. Man, I don't know what to say good. I'll help you. Because I know how to pray. When you give a prayer for someone, you pray for yourself, right? After sowing, it's important to expect and watch for multiplication. 
You can water seeds sown by expecting and praying for progress. I've already been mentioning that. I like this passage. It's very toward the end here. Mark 4, 26. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. So maybe you're sowing your seed, right? Praying for somebody, giving something to somebody, bringing a kind word to somebody, sowing your money, whatever it is, prayer, whatever. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. So every time you give something, there's a little process that comes into like nature. Though he does not know how. It's a mystery in a way how God brings this delivery system and how he measures it out. As far as I can tell, the seed process, when you sow, you get way back more than you sowed. All by itself, the soil produces. It's a law of the universe. You give and it comes back. Give and what? It shall be given to you. You sow. It's like seed in the soil. All by itself, the soil produces grain. It's this mystery of the universe. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest is coming. Can I just say this about you that have been sowing toward miracles for a long time? Sometimes you could just see the head, this the, the little part of it, right? It just first the head, then the full kernel. Sometimes we want the full kernel right away, but just what I've learned to do when I've sowed seed toward a need and I've been praying about something is I learn when I see a little bit of evidence of the grace of God, I say, Thank you, God. Now more, Lord. You see what I'm saying? So when we give and we sow, learning to see it is a larger picture. Learning to watch for the harvest. Watch for the return is really important. When you learn to do that, what will happen is you're going to be wanting to do it even more because most of us just give and forget. We don't have things that we're sowing toward or thinking about, right? So it just happens. We go, but we didn't realize that part of it was connected to our own lifestyle and, of course, our own prayers. Even when you pray, it's a form of giving. You know that? When you pray... It's a form of giving. Even when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first part of prayer is a gift. You just do worship. That's why I love to worship. That's why worship so worship's not like because we like music. Worship is that. I do like the music, but worship is a giving. I'm giving something to God. I'm giving, I'm sitting my tail down there, I'm lifting my hands, I'm standing up, and I'm worshiping the most high God. And always something good comes as a result of it. Always something. You may not see it, but you can feel it sometimes, even in the service, right? You don't have to worship. You get to worship. You don't have to go to church. You get to. You don't have to give money. You get to. It's all get to, right? And if the person understands and can see with the right eyes over a period of time, oh, what a lifestyle. Sometimes I think when tragedy happens to a person or pain happens to a person, I think, ah, wow, they're such a giver. No problem. Just a matter of time. This gets resolved. They've got so much seed in the bank. It's going to happen. And I know how they're going to respond to this, right? So it's important to watch for multiplication. You can water seed sown by expecting and praying for progress. So even when you see the thing just a little bit, say, thank you, Lord. I see it coming, right? I see the blessing, right? Many people give up and don't see the answer when it comes. They get wary. You will reap at the proper time, according to Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Many people give up and do not see the answer when it comes. You'll reap, Galatians 6, 7 to 10 says, at the proper time, miracles often grow in stages. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. This is Galatians 6. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's a big one, by the way. Don't give up. Don't give up. The enemy does everything he can do to make you quit. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm just thinking about football season now. Oh, the best football teams. They drill that into the kids from the very beginning. Whatever you do, do not give up. And the best teams, the best sports teams, they're like that. They don't care where they're at. They're, they have this something inside them. They will not stop, right? But in the natural, as goes the supernatural, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Let's all stand.
Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in church today. Thank you for allowing us to give all our worship to you, all our praise to you. I think this place is pregnant with miracles. It's just a matter of when you cross the finish line. And we found in our weakness and in the joy of coming together as a congregation just because we showed up that often the finish line for people comes in an assembly like this. Because when you came, you came just as a giver. You came to worship God. You came to see other people. You came to listen. You came to think about God. So why wouldn't he multiply a supernatural right here in our midst? I'd like the ministry team to come up. And I want to ask the Lord today. So we call the ministry team a ministry team, the ministry team. <laughs> Just people will be willing to actually sow and generously give their time to pray for you. If it takes Superman, there would be no ministry team. There would be no sense in doing this. Exactly the opposite. God's not looking for super prayers. He's looking just for ordinary folks because at the end of the day, when a miracle happens, who gets the glory? Yeah. So that's why we don't like to put on airs. We don't like to have an official person. We like to have lots of official persons praying for one another because you know why? We get more that way, not less. We see more miracles, not less. Because this is the way of God. This is the way He works, right? So all you that would like to pray and give uh, that way, for another person, why don't you come up to the front, you that are, especially that we've asked to, to help us with that. And, uh, and if you'd like to pray for someone, you've been around for a while, just come and help us. It'd be all right. You don't have to be that official. Matter of fact, I'd maybe especially encourage those that need a healing or need something from God today. Maybe you should just give something to somebody else today. Pray for them. And ask God to bring it back on your own head. All right? So Lord, I want to ask as I close today, I ask that you would sow these words in people's heart. May there be a harvest. And I pray that everybody that comes up to the front, and I'm especially concerned about everyone that needs healing today, I pray you would leave behind a special gift of healing and blessing. In Jesus' mighty name.